stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, it was a largely forgettable federal budget this week, but there was one aspect of the budget that that perhaps deserves a little more attention. Uh, As I said earlier, with all the talk about the liberal government bailing out the media, it's left a lot of the media in a really uncomfortable position. Uh, Because most media outlets aren't ever going to see a dime of any kind of bail-up money, but we've all been now tarred with this brush that somehow we're all going to be dependent on government handouts. These have been challenging times for the news industry, no doubt about it. And some have managed that that transition better than others. But is there a case to be made for any sort of a a government bailout? I would say probably not. And the way the liberal government is going about it, and we learned more in the budget this week, I mean, it's just shaping up to be just a a huge fiasco. Uh, Well, someone who's been watching all of this very closely and very critical uh, of the government's approach is Jesse Brown. He is host and publisher of Canada Land, canadalandshow.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Jesse Brown. Jesse, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. My pleasure. It's always seemed curious, I I suppose, as to why the government was considering this in the first place. What what do these details tell us about what, what the objective of all of this is? Uh, I think that they, they reveal what I, what I have feared from the beginning, which is that this is a very thinly disguised effort to provide a permanent bailout lifeline to our failing newspaper companies. Right. So this is a newspaper bailout. It's exactly what we were promised that it wouldn't be by mm-hmm. the last heritage minister who said, uh, listen, there's a crisis in the news business. Something must be done. It's really important to have journalism. But don't worry. We're not doing this to bail out failing industries that just simply can't work anymore. That's not what this is about. We're not just here to provide a lifeline for businesses that, that don't work because of technological changes. I mean, would it be even more accurate to call this a, a post-media bailout? I mean, there are other newspaper companies uh, in Canada, but it seems post-media has had the most significant financial challenges. I mean, if you read the criteria that was just revealed, it's like it was written for post-media. And post-media, I think almost certainly uh, the largest newspaper chain in Canada will be the primary or at least the largest beneficiary of this. And, and by the same token, while uh, the, the rules of who's eligible puts them in front, uh, it explicitly excludes all kinds of digital upstarts and innovative companies that are that are actually trying to build news companies that have a future. Well, and yeah, and I guess it should be noted as well. I mean, broadcasters are apparently ruled out of this as well. They are, though. I you know I have some sympathy to the argument that um, broadcasters who are covered under the Broadcasting Act are arguably already subsidized because our big broadcasters in Canada sort of have protected markets that the mm-hmm. government hands them. So that, that comes with a lot of guaranteed revenue. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. So in terms now of how this is all going to play out, we're supposedly going to get a, a panel appointed, which is going to determine which news organizations would qualify or what criteria we're going to use. But at the same time, it seems as though the government's already decided that, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that, that we knew, which is, like, really uh, troubling, and just to see how this actually plays out, like, they're going to, you know, they want to say that this is, it's not the government choosing which journalists are real journalists and which ones aren't. We're going to get journalists to decide that, but, of course, who picks which journalists? It's the government. So there will be a government-appointed body uh, that, that will sort of be this bureau of, I mean, you know, this, this speaks to, like, fundamental questions of, 
uh, free expression, free speech, is that pretty much, there's not supposed to be a registered journalist or a licensed journalist. Anyone really uh, should be able to practice journalism. Instead, we're going to have this body that anoints some organizations, but not all, qualified Canadian journalism organizations. And I'm sure that we'll have the, you know, the same way that we talk about who's on the CBC's board and are they friendly to the Conservatives or the Liberals, uh, you know, which journalists get appointed. And, you know, somebody asked me, well, as if you wouldn't take one of these panel positions. The truth is, I can't. I'm running a business. I don't have time to sit on a panel. I mean, the people who usually have time to do this are semi-retired, older, respectable journalists. So we will literally be putting the, the, the future of journalism in the hands of old, outgoing journalists. Well, and the future of journalism, I mean, it's not really for any kind of panel to decide, is it? As you say, I mean, this is kind of a, a bailout of a system that once existed as opposed to an embrace of, of what the future might hold. And obviously, journalism is changing and evolving. No one knows where journalism is going to. And, you know, I, I'm of an optimistic viewpoint that as, as disastrous as things are for the industry right now, people still wake up every morning wanting to know what's going on in the world. And people are incredibly willing and able and ready to, to report stories. And we're actually seeing, some, you know, both in, interesting professional models and innovations in citizen journalism and, and you know, startups. And, you know, I run a company that's making money uh, doing journalism through podcasts and on our website. But there's also a really interesting thing happening where people are reporting the news themselves. Sometimes it doesn't work out well, and maybe there's a role for professionals to step in and verify information. But the point is, this is going to continue to evolve everywhere else in the world. Yes, newspapers uh, will continue to die and disappear as they are, but something new is going to come and replace them. But then we're going to have this weird Galapagos Island here in Canada where we're going to have these these old newspaper chains, like horse and buggies, are going to be kept on government life support, and they're going to block the evolution. Because really, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if the mainstream media was doing it beforehand. I, I came and I filled a need that, that was not being filled. It's only when the old things die that there's an opportunity for people to build new things. We're going to block that here in Canada. So whatever happens everywhere else in the world, it ain't going to happen here. But it's interesting. I mean, legacy, some legacy news organizations and even legacy newspapers are doing very well. I mean, the New York Times, maybe they're an exception given their uh, their stature, but the New York Times uh, has been thriving in recent years, right? So, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily cast in stone that uh, a news agency that existed 25 years ago is, is on the verge of extinction. No, it's, it's certainly not cast in stone, and some papers are able to make the good fight, and they're doing so. It's really interesting what they're doing so on the basis of. They're making an appeal to readers saying... Uh, you need to support us directly because advertising won't support us anymore and because you need somebody who you trust to tell the truth. And people are responding to that. Here in Canada, in order to secure this money, and you know our newspaper industry has been lobbying the government uh, feverishly, in order to secure this, uh, both uh, Post Media and uh, you know, so Paul Godfrey and, and then John Hondrick at the Toronto Star uh, said, we will die if we don't get this. We can't make the transition that the New York Times has made. They, they, they gave up the ghost. And, you know, if you're a, an observer of the media, which, which I you know, do for, for my job, um, I would say, well, neither of you, Post Media or Torster, have really tried. You haven't done with it what the New York Times have done. You haven't, you know, run by really old guys who don't understand digital media and have, who haven't even really made a good effort. And now they're saying uh, we will go under without a government lifeline. And, you know, I, uh, 
So, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, if that's the case, then let's let, let that run its course and let something that, you know, some of us who actually are optimistic and feel like we could make a go of it would would like nothing better than to have the opportunity. But instead, we're, we're, we're really making a, uh, a decision to lock in a status quo that like, yeah, I think a lot of people listening are going to say like, the papers we have in Canada are, are, are not great and they're as poor as they have ever been. Uh, you know, it's not like this money is going to make those papers hire more reporters or do better journalism. It's just going to lock in this rather savvy quality of newspaper that we currently have. So as bad as all of this is, I mean, do you see any role for any sort of, of government assistance for news media, for reporting in Canada, any way of, of supporting journalism? Do you think the government needs to just uh, take a hands-off approach and, and let things unfold as they may? You know what? I originally felt like hands-off is the only way, but I've come around because, like, I feel like, you know, there's no way, originally I felt, for government to get involved without picking winners and losers and saying who is a journalist and who isn't. And, I, and we hold government accountable. Government should have nothing to do with determining which one of us is legitimate and which one is not. But then there was a plan that was floated that I thought actually made a lot of sense and answered some of these problems, which is if you allowed news readers to choose whatever they think is real news or good news, and you gave them a 50, you have to be a significant break, like a 50% tax break at point of sale on their subscription or on their support for that journalism, then that's a way that government could provide some much needed funds to journalists without having to get involved in creating conflicts of interest or choosing winners and losers. You could completely leave it up to the public to decide what news they want and then uh, create an extra incentive for people to do that and make sure that the money gets to the news that the people choose. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. It's not the path we're going here. Well, that could be interesting. I mean, part of it, I think, would come down to criteria, what counts as news. Uh, I think there are certain news agencies, and and perhaps we both know one in particular, uh, that the government has absolutely no interest in in funding. In any kind of situation that might lead to that, uh, I think they would want to steer clear of. Yeah, I mean, the danger of letting the public decide is that some people in the public are going to choose, you know, a hate-mongering site like Ezra Levant's The Rebel. Um, but you know what? Like, I, 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 I feel like free expression is free expression, you know? Mm-hmm. There's places where, that, where, where they, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater, and I, and I think that you should not be able to subject a certain group to, to violence. But, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe in and I've supported and volunteered for organizations that, that uh, will fight for opinions that I don't agree with. Um, so if you're going to try to provide, uh, and it's a big if, but, but, but if you're going to try to provide some funding, I think the only way to do that is to leave it in the people's hands as to what kind of information they want to receive. Well, and I think the subscription model is becoming more and more common. I mean, advertising's become complex. Part of the government's uh, case for this subsidy has been that, you know, Facebook, uh, YouTube, they're they're really cannibalizing that that advertising market for 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 media companies. They're they're really dominating it. Part of the the argument that's been ad- advanced in response to that, though, is that well, the government's part of the problem. They're doing advertising on a lot of those platforms. Do you see any argument for? the government changing its advertising focus and saying, okay, well, if we think that local media needs to be supported, we'll advertise there instead of advertising on Facebook. Uh, I'm not so excited about that idea. I mean, it used to be that we, we had these sort of informal government subsidies of newspapers because back when they were the only place you could really advertise, the government of the day would buy an incredible amount of advertising from whatever newspaper they were feeling warmest towards. 
and that created a certain conflict of interest and dependency as well. Uh, you know, I, like it, it won't solve anything. Like anybody who's paying attention to the business side of the news can see that advertising is done uh, as a permanent solution. Like we're going to have to get the money directly from the people who consume the news, uh, one way or the other. If you if your model, you know, you know, we 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 have ads on our podcast, but it's not the foundation of our of our business model. We we directly get support from our listeners and our readers and the places that are making a go of it. And you you know, you name the New York Times, their subscription has tripled since Trump. It, it's going to be a subscription model. We got to get you know, advertising is done. You know, we, we're not going to solve it through ads. And the conflict of interest, and, and you touched on it, maybe we should focus on it here, because ultimately journalism needs to be independent. Uh, whatever noble impulse the government might have in, in wanting to save it, is that conflict of interest too much to overcome, do you think? A lot of journalists are really shrugging this off, saying, oh, as if I'm going to be bribed by uh, you know a 25% subsidy on my salary, as if I'm going to suddenly start doing the government's bidding. They miss the point entirely. Uh, you know, we say independent press for a reason. Those words go together for a reason. If you are dependent permanently on government, you are not an independent press. And people are not stupid or wrong for pointing that out. It's not so direct that you uh, are suddenly much more sympathetic to uh, the Trudeau government or the next government. Um, what, what it is is that, first of all, you know, you are taking money from people who it's your job to hold them accountable. So whether it's a practical conflict of interest or a perceived one, it changes the way you do your job. And uh, we've already seen the corrosive effects. If you go online now, whether you're looking in forums on the left or the right, the fact that there's this bailout has completely polluted people's idea of, of journalists. Uh, it, it comes up again and again. You just search the hashtag Justin Journos. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though not a dime of this bailout money has reached a journalist's pocket yet, uh, the idea that we're all on the take has uh, completely eroded people's confidence in us at a time when people are already feeling pretty, pretty lousy towards reporters and journalists. Indeed. All right, much more CanadaLandShow.com. Jesse, always appreciate it. Thanks for making some time for us here this afternoon. Yeah, it's nice speaking with you, too. Uh, that is Jesse Brown, host and publisher of Canada Land, CanadaLandShow.com, his thoughts. So, yeah, again, to make it clear, uh, this company... Chorus Global does not qualify for a single dime of this money. Just so we're clear. And I think that's part of the problem the liberals have created is this perception that uh, everyone's on the dole, but it's not the case at all. Anyway, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.